All right, we can turn our Bibles to Titus chapter 2 this morning. As we continue our verse-by-verse look at this wonderful letter from the Apostle Paul to a missionary on the island of Crete by the name of Titus, uh, whom Paul left there to establish, really, the local church on the island of Crete. And he has these wonderful words to him that are still so, so very applicable to us today in the 21st century. It's kind of, uh, it's actually kind of amazing when you, if you pay attention to kind of what's going on in the contemporary church uh, in large part, obviously we're, we're a contemporary church uh, <laughs> because we're a church today. That's what the term means we might have something in our minds, a picture in our minds of what the contemporary church is, but this is it. And uh, the Word of God tells us what the church ought to be. And the number one thing that Paul had for Titus to do was to create order in the local church. And we have seen that essentially there's two, two facets to this order, one, the first is that we've looked at over the past couple weeks, chapter 1, basically verses 5 through 16, is that there needs to be leaders in the church, and, and they have certain qualifications that we'll look at. That's the number one way to have order in a, in a, a church, is to have leaders who fulfill these qualifications that we've looked at. And number two, we will get into today. The idea of sound doctrine. The church absolutely, positively needs sound doctrine. That, that is the very foundation of a church. Without sound doctrine, quite frankly, a church isn't a church. It's taking a name of something else and applying it to itself if it doesn't have sound doctrine. Because that is... That is, that is uh, point number one, <laughs> there has to be sound doctrine in the church for it to even really be a church. And so today, we will. the title of our message is The Church Needs Sound Doctrine. Obviously, we're going to... Th- this is my favorite kind of message. It's only two verses uh, this morning, but we're going to look at almost every single word of the two the two verses, to truly understand what it means to have sound doctrine in a church. And uh, this, of course, is a pastoral epistle written by the Apostle Paul to this man by the name of Titus, Titus being one of Paul's earliest companions we've seen, that uh, he was with him uh, from the Probably the first missionary journey, Paul met Titus, and there was some sort of a connection there because Paul is, or Titus is with Paul throughout really the rest of his the rest of his life, and he Paul left Titus on the island of Crete here to to set things in order for the local church uh, on the island of Crete. Uh, one of the largest islands in the Mediterranean Sea there. That's Greece up to the, to the north, where Paul most likely was when he penned this letter. He wrote it 64 to 66, somewhere in there, after the first Roman imprisonment. And it's, as we've seen, a letter about how to have order in the local church and really the necessity of order. We have one of our key passages here. Uh, in chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, and the other one probably for us to uh, think about memorizing is Titus 3, verses 4 through 8. The church must be orderly, and this is achieved through godly leaders who teach the word and believers who apply the truth of the word to their lives. That's what this letter is really all about. Last time we looked at verses 10 through 16, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, that's, uh, that's a large portion of this letter. There's really only uh, there's 41 verses in, in the, uh, 
in this letter to Titus, and we covered like seven of them yesterday, so that, or last week. That's pretty good. Uh, how to deal with false teachers. We saw some of their characteristics, uh, that, they, that they're rebellious, they're empty talkers, deceivers. That's the number one uh, reason why a church needs sound doctrine, and the people in the church need to know the doctrine. Otherwise, they can be deceived. There are people out there who want to deceive you for a number of reasons. They want to have a, a position of authority over people. They want to have some kind of power over people. Uh, primarily, uh, it would seem that they want to do it for the money. Verse 11, that they are there uh, for the sake of sordid gain, it says. That these, it's a one of the main ways that you can know a false teacher. Are they in it for the wrong thing? And the wrong thing is going to be money. Uh, uh, nine times out of ten. And so the, the, the people within the church need to know the doctrine so that they know when they're being deceived. And that's why the, the sound doctrine is such an important part of of how to have order in a church. And then we see Paul uh, getting very politically un incorrect there in verse 12, where he quotes one of their uh, philosophers of the day, saying, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Uh, that's not something that we, that we typically do uh, in the world today, that we call people out for who they are. And he even uh, he's even kind of... Uh, racially going after these people. Cretans. He, he's singling them out as liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. And you know what? That's actually kind of a good thing to understand as Paul goes through and, and points out, yes, that's true. These people do have a, they have a sin tendency as, as a group of people. And guess what? We all do. We come from different backgrounds and, and different backgrounds of people uh, ethnicities and these kinds of things have various sin tendencies and it's good to know your weaknesses so that you can deal with them. And that's essentially what Paul is doing here. He's pointing out the sin weaknesses of the Cretan people so that they can avoid it. That's a good thing. And that's what he goes on to do. You're gonna, the people on Crete have a tendency to be liars. So they're going to gravitate towards people who are deceptive. That's, that's the way we are, kind of by nature. We uh, like to be around people who are like us. So they need to, to watch out for that. And they need to not be uh, taken in by these kinds of people. So Paul is, is of course, correctly pointing this out to, to them as a way to deal with the false teachers. And then he's going to move into here in chapter 2 on our outline uh, this, this idea of what actually needs to be taught to the people. So he tells them he needs to appoint elders, warns them about the dangers of false teaching and false teachers and how uh, this emphasis of the importance of elders in the local church and then he's going to, again, move into various demographics here. We see right in verse 2, he's going to deal with older men and then older women and then the younger women and the younger men and various categories of people. And again, it isn't wrong because as these individual, within these individual groups, we have things that we need to work on as people. And Paul is just... Uh, being real here, uh, if, if you will. It's good for us to understand our weaknesses as people. In, in athletics, if you uh, ever participated in any kind of sports, uh, you don't work on the things, well, you do, but you don't concentrate on the things that you're good at. Like you show up to practice and, and uh, you're the best free throw shooter on the team in basketball. And all you do is go at basketball practice. You spend the entire two hours shooting free throws. And I'm just nailing every one. Can't play any defense, can't dribble, but I can shoot free throws like nobody's business. And so that's all I'm going to practice. 
you're not going to get better as a basketball player, obviously, unless you work on your weaknesses and you try to improve them. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's going to be essentially breaking them down by two, two different methods, gender and age. Uh, and there's only two here <laughs> that are mentioned. There's only two genders that are mentioned. You're only going to find two in, in the, all of the Bible, males and females, men and women. Uh, and then age. And notice, we talked about this in our introductory, he begins with the older men. The church, of course, has this all wrong today in large part. We live in a very youth-centric culture. If you uh, have been paying any attention at all to the way things are uh, in the world today, in the church, uh, it, it, and that's with a good reason. That's the way it, it always is in a socialistic kind of revolution state. Uh, that's what they do. You've heard of the Hitler Youth, and uh, the Chinese did exactly the same thing. They went for the youth. They had the youth, and they went out. And, and you know, there's something to reaching the youth. I'm not saying, obviously, that we shouldn't teach our young children. Of course we should be teaching our young children is the difference is that the, that the youth are given a position of authority, and they are the center of the focus, and that's uh, not what we are, we are seeing here at all. Uh, Paul is, is concentrating on the older first, and then moving on from there. Uh, and of course, I, I hope that you have already seen, as we have discussed some of the qualifications of the elder and uh, as we make our way through the older men, the older women, and these kinds of things, that he is he's pointing out things that are specific to these individual groups. But I hope you've seen that the qualifications of an elder, well, they kind of fit for the qualifications of a Christian. This, these are the things that all Christians ought to be uh, doing. As, as people who love the Lord and want to please Him in their lives. So uh, the ladies today, you know, don't just turn off your minds and look at Facebook the whole time because, oh, well, this is for the older men. Same thing for the young, younger people here. You know, yeah, this is for you too. <laughs> just because he, it's titled older men, that's the area of focus, but obviously these things apply to every single one of us. So today in the church need sound doctrine, we'll see the basis, the basics, and the byproduct as we make our way into chapter 2. Notice Titus chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 where it says, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Uh, Titus chapter or uh, two one, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Of course, this is directed at Titus and is kind of the introductory to this new section of the letter where he's going to begin to tell them to tell Titus about the things that he that he ought to be concentrating on in his. Uh, teaching of these elders and the people in the local church there on Crete. But as for you, notice that, that first word, but, there's a, a great contrast here. He's just finished speaking to him or writing to him about the qualifications of the elder, verses 5 through 9, and then the verses 10 through 16, where he's pointing out the dangers of the false teachers. Don't become like the false teachers. Don't be like them. You need to be different from these people. You need to have different motivations, teach different things, act differently than them. You will know them by their fruits. We saw that last time. Your fruits as a, as a believer ought to be different than the fruits 
of the world. There should be a great contrast between you and the false teachers, Titus, the same way that there ought to be a a big contrast between you as a believer and your walk with the Lord and the people that you know who aren't believers. We ought to be different. Paul said that reminded the Corinthians of that in 2 Corinthians 6. Verse 14, he says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. We like to just kind of say, oh, well, that's a marriage passage there. Uh, Don't marry an unbeliever. Or if you're uh, looking for somebody to marry, don't date an unbeliever. And what that is, those are all, that's all good advice. There's more to this 2 Corinthians 6 than just marriage. Uh, He's talking about life in general. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore... Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So, of course, this isn't a, this isn't a passage that says, you know, oh, don't ever talk to the unbeliever, don't have, associate with them or have anything to do with them. Obviously, that isn't the case. If it were we'd kind of all be in trouble. (laughs) I guess at some point we were unbelievers and some believer had to come to us and give us the gospel. Obviously, this is uh, talking about their lifestyles, how you need to be different from them. You don't, clearly it it applies to marriage. You don't want to be uh, seeking out an unbeliever to be married to and these kinds of things don't want to enter into close partnerships and that kind of thing you're going to have some some issues there here for titus the application uh for us as uh, elders in the church as christians in general be different don't be conformed to this world be transformed uh, into the image of christ and uh this Paul goes on here to say, but as for you, you, gotta, you have to be different. That's the implication there of that very first word in the sentence. Speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. There's another imperative there, a command. Speak these things. It's a present active imperative uh, indicating that you need to be about speaking. This is, this is what you do. Titus, this is what you're supposed to be doing as the person who is setting the the church in order there on Crete. You need to be speaking. This is what you need to be. This needs to be the focus of of your uh, activities. And there's kind of a, a secondary implication of this. If Titus is going to be speaking, he isn't just going to be speaking to himself. (laughs) There has to be somebody that he's speaking to for that to be able to happen. And so in our in our 21st century world, 2023, we're trying to we're trying to get it whipped up again. The covid thing like we did in 2020, they're doing their best to to try to get it going again. Uh, And the churches shut down. People didn't meet. People weren't uh, gathering together in that is a real problem for the church. We, we need this. And this is just another uh, indication of that. The church needs to be gathering together so that the, the teacher can be speaking and you can be hearing. Yeah, obviously we have technology that we can uh, use now to kind of uh, get around it. You know, the, uh, obviously, I, I love our online ministry. We put a lot of time, uh, treasure, and effort into making it a good thing, but it isn't this. 
It isn't being together and coming together and ironing, sharpening iron, iron, sharpening iron. That's uh, what coming together does. And we see this in Ephesians 2.19 in the language of that passage, Ephesians 2.19 through 22, uh, where Paul is describing uh, what the church is, this new body made up of Jews and Gentiles who have believed in Christ and coming together and literally, according to the language, rubbing up against one another. That's what holds it together. Ephesians 2.19. So then, Paul says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Speaking to these Gentile believers, something new is going on here. You're part of God's household now. Verse 20, Ephesians 2, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Being fitted together. The the language there is describing the stones that they used in construction uh, at this time where they didn't put mortar in between the stones and these kinds of things. They were so perfectly uh, cut and fit together that it held up the entire building. And that's what the church is. People have to come together and rub up against one another. It's it's really easy to be a great Christian when you're sitting by yourself in a cabin on the top of a mountain. Man, I'm good. I've got it all figured out. I'm patient. I'm kind. I'm loving. I've got it wired. What could possibly go wrong? And then you leave your cabin, and you the first person you see, oh, Gee whiz, maybe I'm not quite as patient as I thought I was. Maybe I'm not quite as loving as I thought I was. That's why we need to come together. So I love online, but it isn't church. It isn't coming together and growing in your walk with the Lord. You have to be around other people to do that. And that's the implication their secondary kind of implication of Paul commanding Titus to speak. There's got to be people there for you to speak to. And so, uh, also, of course, Hebrews 10.23, the author of Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for Uh, He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, I'm not trying to guilt anyone (laughs) who doesn't come to church every week or, or, you know, there's no kind of nefarious reason uh, that I'm saying this. Um... I'm saying it because the Bible tells us that's, that's what we need to be doing as a church. It's for our own good. When we come together, of course, we get our minds are, are realigned. I've given this example several times, but when we, in our airplane, we fly from one city to another, we have uh, navigation equipment that needs to be reset in between every flight. You have to tell it where it is. It does a really good job of uh, knowing where it is, but in, after the flight is over, you have to reset it and tell it precisely where you are, and then it recages, and you can go off for the next flight. If you don't do that, over time it gets further and further and further and further away from where it thinks it is compared to where it actually is, and you have a problem then. You, you're not entirely sure. Uh, where you are in the airplane, and you got to know where you are in the airplane to get to the right place. Very much like life for the Christian. We have to know where we stand in relation to God's Word, uh, and we get recaged when we come together with fellow Christians and love and serve one another within the church. 
hear God's Word, have our minds transformed by it, by the Holy Spirit, and we can go out from this place knowing where we are, knowing where we stand with God and our fellow man, and we can go out into the world being prepared. That, all of that wrapped up in this command from Paul to Titus to speak. Uh, and he is to speak certain things, the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Fitting. What is, it, it is what is uh, proper, what is appropriate, that word literally means. Uh, Jesus said it to John the Baptist when he was going to be baptized, Matthew 3, 15. John was a little bit hesitant about uh, baptizing the Messiah, and Jesus told him, it's okay, uh, this is fitting, this is appropriate for you to do this now, it's, it's part of the plan. This is, these are the kinds of things that need to be in Titus's uh, repertoire of teaching, things that are, things that are fitting, appropriate, uh, the Bible. Not, uh, not our own ideas, uh, not the latest thing from the culture and these kinds of things that we see going on so much in the modern church, things that are fitting. In fact, he even tells us what, what is fitting. Fitting for sound doctrine. This is where it gets kind of interesting. That word sound there, he's not talking about sound like you hear my voice. Uh, or hear sounds, that kind of thing. It is the, the Greek term is hagiaino is the Greek term there. And you might notice uh, an English word that's very close to that, hygiene or hygienic. That's, that's exactly what the term means. Things that are fitting for clean, pure, healthy, correct doctrine. That's uh, what... Paul is describing there. And this is the same thing that he said to Timothy. We're going we're gonna to notice that all of these words are, very, uh, are uh, found very much in the pastoral epistles. In fact, this word, uh, hygiano, is used 12 times uh, by Paul, only by Paul, if uh, memory serves, and it's used in eight of those 12 uses are in the pastoral epistles, either First and Second Timothy or Titus. So it's a word that is, is very much directed towards doctrine. Every time it is used, it's used in respect to uh, doctrine or sound words, sound teaching. And it has to be clean and, and pure. And when our bodies aren't hygienic, uh, when they're not clean, we're subject to disease. We're subject to problems. Uh, if we get some kind of a wound or something along those lines, it's got to be cleaned and treated. Uh, well, otherwise, it becomes infected. Guess what? As people, we all have a wound, a spiritual wound. It's called the sin nature. And if it's not treated with sound or hygienic doctrine, then problems are going to develop. The infection is going to grow worse and worse. But the good news is that that infection can be treated. And when we trust in Christ, that of course is how we have eternal life. We understand that we have this sin nature. We commit sins that are an affront to a holy God. But... God, in His plan and in His grace, came into this world. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, came into this world, took on human flesh, and then gave His life for our sins. He paid the penalty, the, the price, the penalty for our sins so that we could have life by trusting in what He did, believing in what He did, on our behalf. So when we, we do that, we have the forgiveness of our sins. We receive eternal life. God gives that to us through his, through his grace. 
But we still have that sin nature within us. He doesn't take that out of us. I'm not sure if you have recognized that in yourself or not, but we still sin. We still need treatment as we go through life. We still need to hear sound doctrine. That's why Paul is telling Titus to teach things, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine, because the people still need this treatment. They still need to get the cleaning, if you will. And it only comes from the doctrine, which literally means instruction or teaching. Uh, in Second Timothy 1.13, one of the uses of this idea, Paul says to Timothy, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Of course, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, because we need that with our, our infection that we have within us. It needs to be cleaned, and that comes from Scripture. And there's a purpose for it. So that, verse 17, the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And guess what? it would seem that Paul kind of knew what was going to happen with the church. 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. We're living this out today in, in the church in America. I can only speak to, to what I uh, have experience with. And we're seeing this play out right before our eyes. The people are turning from sound doctrine, wanting to have teachers who say things that are just going to uh, tickle their ears. This word for doctrine used 21 times by Paul. 15 of them are in the pastoral letters. And that tells us what ought to be very important to uh, teachers, elders, and therefore churches. Doctrine. That needs to be the very foundation of the church. The goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image of Christ, according to Romans 12. And this happens when we submit to the truth of God's Word. Like I, as I mentioned, it's a, it's a mirror. It shows us what we look like. And oftentimes it isn't all that pretty. And so when we look in the mirror and see something that needs to be changed, well, in order to be conformed to the image of Christ, then we change it through the help, with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. As He is revealing these things to us, convicting us of these things, we change when we see the word pointing out something that isn't that isn't right uh, with us, and the way that we gain this understanding is through the teaching of sound doctrine. It's keeping within the word, not the traditions of men. This is what the false teachers do, who are the uh, the the liars, the evil beasts, the lazy gluttons. They're, they're paying attention to myths and this kind of thing, the, the ideas of man instead of the sound doctrine. That's why Paul says there, but as for you, you need to be different than these false teachers. You don't teach the ideas of men, traditions of men. You teach sound doctrine that comes from the Scriptures. That is the basis of basically everything that he's going to say for the rest, the rest of this entire letter is found there in verse 1. You speak the things <clears throat> which are fitting for sound doctrine. So what, what, are, uh, what are the areas of sound doctrine? How is this going to apply to us as individuals within the church? What are the, what are the basics? Well, that's what Paul is going to do here. He's going to go into the, the various demographics uh, of the church and what they need. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but men and women are different, uh, not just physically, obviously, but mentally and spiritually. 
We're different. We have different sin tendencies. Uh, we have different things that we're typically good at. We have different motivations in life and uh, different roles in the family and in the church. And so, again, as these are directed at, at individuals and individual groups, uh, you're probably going to find that some of these things apply to you, even if you don't fit within that particular uh, demographic. And that's, that's, all, that's all good. Uh, just like for the pastor. Uh, uh, you know, you as a believer... Uh, you're still supposed to be a one-woman man if you're a man. Uh, you shouldn't be pugnacious. You shouldn't be uh, some of these other things as a believer uh, also. So older men are to be three things here mentioned. Temperate, dignified, and sensible. What do these things actually mean as the basics for the the older men, the presbutes is the, the uh, Greek term there that Paul uses. Same root as the elder, if you'll remember, presbyteros was the, the uh, word that's translated as elder earlier in Titus. Same, same uh, root word there referring to the older men. When we get to verse 3, it has a different ending, very similar word uh, it, it referring to the older women. Again, not youth-centric. He's starting off with the older men. First off, we got to get the, the men in order uh, in order to do this. Have the, church, have the church be orderly. Again, Paul is writing this to, to Titus. He's a missionary. Uh, he's appointing elders in the churches and they're to teach sound doctrine. He isn't, uh, he isn't organizing some kind of door-to-door -door evangelistic uh, push. He's not sending out flyers. Now, hey, let's get the summer fest is coming up. Let's make sure you get, get out there and have a big group ready to go for that. Not organizing some kind of teen gathering. That, that's the way we're going to get him in. We got to get the got to get the teens interested and then they'll drag their parents with them and then we'll be good. That is not Paul's focus here. Speak sound doctrine. Appoint elders. Make sure they teach sound doctrine. And as a matter of fact, it's going to begin with the older men in the church. Uh, and you know, before we get too overwhelmed here, this isn't because of the patriarchy, if you will, if you pay attention to... Uh, kind of modern women's studies and this kinds of thing. Uh, this is reality. As the men go in the church, so go the church. So we have a problem in the church in America. Uh, it, it's going down the wrong road. Uh, guess, guess whose fault that is. It's not... Uh, it's our own. Well, let's just say, not say what it is and let's just say what it is. It's our own fault. As the, as the men go in the church, so go the church. The modern church is largely geared towards uh, women and teenagers and children. Uh, survey after survey after survey will show you that young men in the church or, or who have been going to church don't go to church because church is for women. Uh, and, and why would I do that? And so you can uh, read it for yourself. So we need to have the focus of the Scriptures. It doesn't mean the church is for men. It means that, that we need to uh, have things orderly the way they're supposed to be according to the Scriptures. The Bible is telling us something here very, very different from what the world will tell us. The older men need to, be, need to uh, take the position of leadership, if you will, and leaders uh, lead. <laughs> they don't just sit back and not do anything. They are the ones leading the way and are the examples, as we're going to see, for others to follow. And, and Number one on that list is that they need to be temperate. Older men are to be 
temperate. And the Greek term that we have here is uh, nephilios is the term. Three times it's used, all of them in the pastorals, this idea of being temperate. 1 Timothy 3, 2. Paul says, an overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So there you see this uh, attribute of an elder is applied to just kind of the quote-unquote regular congregant as well. They also have to be temperate. And not just the men. Also, the ladies, 1 Timothy 3.11, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. These are attributes that are applicable to every one of us. And so what does this term actually mean? Well, it literally means to be sober uh, and to be self-controlled. And so uh, when we see that term sober or temperate, we may think of the temperance movement that is geared towards alcohol. And I, th- I think absolutely that's uh, one of the areas of being uh, self-controlled is to be sober in terms of alcohol. You drink alcohol, you're not uh, self-controlled anymore. That's, that's part of the idea of drinking it is to not... Uh, be in complete control. Change your state of mind. That is exactly what uh, Paul is saying to not do here. Of course, it can just refer to your state of mind. Be self-controlled. Be a a sober-minded person. This is what Peter is getting at. 1 Peter 5.8, we need to go through life paying attention to what is going on around us. Uh, because we have an enemy out there. Don't be like the lost. If, you, if you've spent much time around lost people, I know some of us may, may not spend a lot of time around lost people, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I do. I, in my week, I'm around a lot of lost people. And sometimes it's, uh, it's particularly annoying at like 4 o'clock in the morning uh, when you're going to work. But at other times, that they get together and they have this kind of laugh at the world that you're just sitting there thinking, well, like, that really isn't all that funny. But they're just laughing these incredible gregarious laughs about things that aren't particularly funny. They're not being self-controlled. They're not being sober-minded. And, and it doesn't mean that we need to be uh, you know, somber, wet blanket all the time. Uh, we, of course, we're allowed to, to have fun and, and laugh at various times, but you ought to be realistic about life in general. And you ought to be paying attention. As I mentioned, we have this enemy, 1 Peter 5.8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When the lost are laughing like that, it, oftentimes it has something to do with sin. Oh man, you should have been there last night. It was incredible. And uh, describing the sin that they were involved in. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Sin will devour you. You need to be, you need to be paying attention as, as uh, all of us need, need to be doing this. We need to be temperate. The older men also need to be dignified. Semnos is the, the Greek term there used four times, three of those in the pastoral. 75% of the uses of this word are in the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy 3, 8. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, Again, applied to the women as well. We see this same term, dignified. So what does that mean? It, It literally means to be worthy of respect, be honorable, have good character, 
if there's one thing <laughs> that is missing in this world, it is dignity. People having dignity. Uh, in the air, you see all kinds of people in the airports, and some of them are dressed like they're going to a slumber party rather than uh, go on an airplane. And that, that isn't dignified. It isn't worthy of respect. Again, you don't have to wear a tuxedo everywhere you go, but, you know, get some self-respect. Be, be dignified. We don't, uh, we don't have a lot of that. If you see it on social media, the comment sections of articles and these kinds of, this kinds of uh, things that we interact with, people don't interact with one another with dignity. We need to be doing that. How can we be dignified? Well, we can be dignified by controlling the things that we think about is one, one way that we can do that. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Control the things that you are thinking about. Control the things that, uh, that you're watching, that you're putting into your brain, and you'll find that you will be more temperate. You might be more uh, dignified as you go through life. And they're also to be sensible there. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, and sensible. Sophron is the term used four times, every one of them in the pastoral epistles. First Timothy 3.2, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, prudent. That's what this term uh, means, thoughtful. Again, self-controlled, kind of a synonymous term there with uh, the term dignified. And how can we be sensible? Well, we can, uh, the book of Proverbs is largely about that, uh, how to be sensible in this life. And it comes down to the fear of the Lord. What is the purpose of the book of Proverbs? Proverbs 1, beginning in verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If we want to be sensible, we need sound doctrine. We need to uh, take that in as uh, in the fear of the Lord. That's going to be the very foundation of it. The fools, ah, they're laughing. They're thinking about last night. They're thinking about what they're going to do tonight. And you know, ah, it's just wonderful. Isn't it great? But they aren't temperate. They aren't dignified. And they aren't sensible. The exact opposite of what Paul is telling Titus to teach to the old men. These are the older men in the church. They are to be the example for the other, the rest of the church, essentially, in this, being sober-minded, self-controlled, worthy of respect, carrying themselves with some dignity, caring about what, what they're doing and how they're, they're living their lives, be, being people of, of good character uh, and prudent and thoughtful. And what is going to be the byproduct of this? If the older men are doing this, they're going to be sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in perseverance, as it says there in the second part of verse 2. So again, we have verse 1. Titus is to be speaking the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Well, here we have that same word again, hagiano, sound faith. That's going to be the result of 
this sound doctrine and the older men applying it to their lives, they're going to be temperate, dignified, and sensible. And then as a result of that, they're going to be, they're going to be sound in the faith, sound in love, and sound in perseverance. They're going to have a, a clean and correct faith if you are teaching them sound doctrine. They're going to have a, a hygienic gospel, if you will. One that, one that is able to clean people and one that is clean. That's, that's the idea of the faith. So uh, the gospel is a term that's thrown around a lot these days. Gospel this, gospel that, gospel people, gospel church, gospel this, that, and the other thing. But the gospel is the good news that we have salvation by faith in Christ. That's what the gospel is. And there, obviously there's a lot that goes into it, but we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Uh, we aren't saved by believing anything other than Jesus Christ died for my sins and when I trust in Him, He gives me eternal life. That is how we pass from death into life, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and His vicarious death, to give it the fancy term, is death that he, that he went through on my behalf. When I do that, I receive eternal life. I move from death to life. Sin is what is killing me. Sin is what is keeping me in death. Christ takes that away in his death and he gives me his righteousness and his life when I trust in what he did on my behalf. That, that's a hygienic gospel. That's clean and, and perfect and exactly what the scriptures uh, tell us. We're not saved by hoping that we're one of the elect. We're not saved by trusting uh, in the doctrines of grace. We're not saved by doing anything. We are saved by trusting in what Christ did on our behalf. A lot of times it's, it's boiled down. People try to boil it down as, as small as they can get it, and that can get us into troubles. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 3 and 4 kind of encapsulates the things that we need to believe. 1 Corinthians 15.3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. So that tells me that sin is a part of the Gospel. It's something that I've got to understand. My sin separates me from God, and Christ died for my sins. I have to understand that. I have to understand who Jesus is. We're not talking about the Muslim Jesus or the, the Hare Krishna Jesus or Hindu Jesus or some other kind of Jesus. It's the Jesus of the Bible. Second person of the Trinity. He's always existed. At a point in history, he took on human flesh and lived in this world and died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He died a physical death. He literally died. He was a real person who really died and he really rose again. Uh, this is what we need to believe in order to have eternal life. And then we move on from there into this life. Like I said, uh, God doesn't just take away our uh, sin nature. We still have a life to live. How do we live that life as believers in Christ? The same way that we received eternal life by faith. Colossians 2.6, Paul says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. There's that idea of instruction again. So we have this, our justification. This is... 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. I mean, there's a, there's a litany of other verses that we could put under this. Passing from death to life, John 5, 24. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
give, uh, when we do that, we trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins. We are justified. We have eternal life. And now we move into our present life. We live this by faith also, trusting in Christ and his provision for us moment by moment, uh, keeping short accounts with him, confessing our sins to him, maintaining fellowship, walking with him. We're going to, we'll see more of that if I hurry up uh, this morning. That's all part of sanctification in the future. We're going looking forward, just like he says there later in Titus 2, that we're verse 13, looking for the blessed hope in the great appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's going to come again for us. This is how we walk in our daily life, looking forward to that happening. Sound in the faith. Have a hygienic faith. We need to have a hygienic or sound love, agape love, a love that serves other people. This is how uh, the world is going to know that we are Jesus's people, the way that we love one another within the church. That's what this idea of agape love is. It's more than just an emotion. I hope that we all, that we like one another and we like being in one another's presence. We love one another that way, but it's even deeper than that. We serve one another. Jesus gave his life for us. That's the greatest uh, service of love. Lower yourself, serve other people, love them. That's what agape love is all about. And that's the goal of our instruction. Did you know we have kind of a, a theme verse for uh, Flushing Bible Church? First Timothy 1.5 is it. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is the, the goal of, of why we are here, that we love one another in, in a way that is uh, obviously inspired by God. And we are to be sound in perseverance. That, that is the result of this sound doctrine also. Older men being temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in the faith, sound in love. They have the right gospel. They have the right uh, Christian life. And that is, uh, manifests itself in a, in a sound love and sound in perseverance. Hypomone is the, the Greek term there. Uh, literally means to under-abide or abide under. Abide with Christ. And we're not doing this in order to be saved or in order to keep ourselves saved. This is part of that uh, second phase of our salvation. This is how we maintain it, is through perseverance, through, ha- through abiding in Christ. John 15, 1 through 5 uh, the the uh, the branches in the vines the the branches abiding in the vine that's how they bear fruit that is the only way they will bear fruit they don't do it by holding on really tight and white knuckling it or working it up themselves no they just simply attach themselves to the vine and they bear fruit vicariously that's just the way it happens. That's the way, uh, that's why Jesus uses that uh, wonderful example in John 15 of the vine and the branches. It's the same way for us. As we attach ourselves to Christ, we maintain our relationship with Him through communication, study of His Word, prayer, confession of sin. We will find ourselves uh, bearing fruit for Him. Doing this, again, doesn't give you eternal life. It doesn't keep you in heaven. That's impossible because we're going to mess it up. And, and heaven is a perfect place. It demands a perfect standard that only God can achieve. And he gives it to us by way of his grace. And so this is... Uh, this idea of perseverance is one of maintaining our relationship with him. And when we do that, uh, we will find ourselves bearing fruit. So that is the byproduct of the sound doctrine. The church needs sound 
doctrine. Without, without it, we are hopeless and helpless. We are, we are striving after the wind. When we're teaching the ideas of man and uh, the traditions of men, it, when our church is more concerned with uh, you know, five messages on finances and these kinds of things, we're not grounded in sound doctrine. And, and Paul is telling Titus here that that is the very foundation. We need sound doctrine. And when we have it, uh, we will find ourselves uh, being temperate, dignified, and sensible as everyone, not just the older people, but everyone is going to do that as we are look into the mirror of God's Word and we're, we are transformed by what we see there. Let's go to Him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Word. I thank You for the letter to Titus that is uh, very much applicable to us here in the 21st century at Flushing Bible Church. It's almost like this letter was written to us. I just pray that we would treat it as such, that as uh, men and leaders in our church, we would fully submit to you and to your word in areas of our lives where we see ourselves not being uh, temperate or not being dignified or not being sensible. I pray that, that the Holy Spirit would not leave us alone on that, that you would convict us and that, that we would uh, submit to you and to the truth of your word so that we can uh, be sound in the faith and, and sound in our love for one another and sound in our perseverance. We just pray that you would help us in that. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and I pray that, that you would uh, continue to do that for us. And just pray that you would watch over us this week to come. Uh, help us to be faithful to you and to, to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.